0: Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for another new day of life, Lord. And we thank you for the blessings you give in your word, Lord, that give us the freedom to be at peace with you and with one another. And Lord, we pray this morning that as we speak of um, forgiveness, as well as some other things, but specifically on forgiveness, Lord, that you would come here with your spirit, and open our hearts and our minds that we may receive the things that we're hearing today, Lord, and that we may act upon them by your grace. It is a serious thing, Lord. Um, and so we, we really ask for your presence and for your power to minister to us, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, before we get into the forgiveness, we're just going to go over a few things and that has to do with the modified fast. So, um, here we go. We always ask, how did it go? For those of you that have been doing it, right? And uh, it's really neat when we ask this because a lot of people, like I said, will start raising their hand and saying, you know, this is day four and I still feel good and I'm surprised how I'm doing and how I'm feeling and some will say oh i um i don't feel the pains here and there we had one guy who had crippling arthritis and he was maybe in his 40s i don't know and um so bad that his hands were crippled like this and um he he was coming to the overcoming seminar this is after we had our prophecy meetings we had the overcoming seminar and while there, he, um, he said, you know what? I've been doing the water thing with a little bit of salt, and I've been following the diet all week, and my arthritis pain has gone away. And he said, it's so neat. And then he said, but I started feeling like I needed some protein. <laughs> you know, because he just thought, like, the whole week it was, like, too much, and he was afraid he was losing protein. And so he said, I thought I'd have some chicken. And so I had some chicken, and my arthritis pain came back, (laughs) and it's just kind of funny that he shared that, you know, when we're in the midst of something, they're all thinking, like, what on earth is he talking about? Some of us that are vegetarian knew exactly what he was talking about, but some of the others were like, what, chicken brought your arthritis back? (laughs) So anyway, it was just really neat that um, hearing the feedback from the people, you know, of how they're feeling and what, you know, things are happening. A lot of times we don't recognize the fact that what we do to our bodies, how they react, you know, cause and effect. But it's just neat hearing people's, you know, feedback. So, yeah, we always ask, how did it go? And then um, we ask, any slip-ups? And I know that just seems like a very strange thing. But some people will start to say, yeah, you know, I was doing really well. But then, you know, like the whole chicken thing. And and then I felt this, but you can learn from that. Because now he's realizing, okay, I guess I didn't need that protein, so-called protein, as I thought I did, and it had an adverse effect. Or some people say, "Um, I was doing okay, but then such and such happened, and it just got me so angry, and I just did this. And then we'll ask them, well, did you um, ask any questions? What can you learn from it? And did you remember to walk? Get up. Remove yourself from the situation. Did you remember to drink your water? Did you remember to deep breathe? Did you claim Bible provinces? Did you talk to God at all during that time? And we go over this every time because it's, it's making people realize, I need to do these things. It sounds mechanical, but after a while it becomes natural to turn to God in the times of stress and worry and, you know. So it's just good to always look back, analyze, and learn from it. All right. We'll move on. Uh, So then this is day four. What we add is uh, beans, nuts, and seeds for the fourth day. So beans, nuts, and seeds is what's added. So if he had waited for his protein, he would have gotten it, right? (laughs) Um, It was coming up, the beans, nuts, and seeds. So let's learn some things. Remember, we always want to learn the good things about what we're eating because it gives us More reason, musical fruit, rich source of healthy antioxidants, black beans, highest. Science Daily, although researchers haven't come up with a foolproof way to avoid the indelicate side effects of beans, they have found yet another reason why you should eat more of them. In addition to their high fiber and protein content, a new study finds that beans, particularly black ones, are rich are a rich but overlooked source of antioxidants and may provide health benefits similar to some common fruits including grapes, apples, and cranberries. Isn't that neat, beans, did you know that? That's just a really neat thing. So now, even when you're eating your beans, you know that you're not just getting the protein and the fiber, but the antioxidants. The researchers tested the antioxidant activity of flavonoids, plant pigments, found in the skin of 12 common varieties of dry beans. Antioxidants destroy free radicals, which are highly active chemicals whose excess has been linked to heart disease, cancer, and aging. Black beans came out on top, having more antioxidant activity gram for gram than other beans, followed by red, brown, yellow, and white beans, in that order. In general, darker colored seed coats were associated with higher levels of flavonoids And therefore, higher antioxidant activity, says lead investigator Clifford Benninger, PhD, a research associate at the University of... Anyone know how to say that? When we're in Canada, they... Guelph. Guelph in Ontario, Canada. When we're in Canada doing our seminar, the Canadians will usually pop in and tell me how it's really said, but Chad remembers. Okay science daily when it comes to boosting antioxidant intake research recent research indicates there's little benefit from taking diet supplements a better way according to a report in the september issue of mayo clinic health letter is eating a diet rich in antioxidant containing foods so the best way is the natural way right our body assimilates it better so um you realize like the darker the beans the more antioxidant same thing with our fruits and veggies we get a lot of antioxidants in our berries and usually berries are the darker ones right um so it's good a good thing to remember is to have a rainbow of colors in your diet okay a lot of times we stick to certain colors in our diets and you get stuck in that but it's good to have a rainbow of colors in our diet so that way we're making sure that um we're getting different nutrients that we need. Antioxidants such as vitamin C and E, carotene, lycopene, lutein, and many other substances may play a role in helping to prevent diseases such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, and macular degeneration. Antioxidants are thought to help because they can neutralize free radicals, which are toxic by byproducts of natural cell metabolism. And here are some um, of the foods that are high in, or foods that have antioxidants in them. The berries, we can see. um, Blueberries, blackberries, you see they're all the colorful berries, the bright reds. And the beans, of course, we just talked about that. Fruits, apples uh, with the peels, avocados, cherries. The veggies are artichoke, spinach, red cabbage, red and white potatoes, nuts, walnuts, pistachios, pecans, some herbs or ground cloves, cinnamon or ginger, dried oregano leaf and turmeric powder, and grains that are oat-based products that you can have high on antioxidants in. So these are just a few to name some. Okay, now we're going to switch gears and talk a little bit about exercise. You notice that when we're trying to overcome the cravings, we have been telling you to do what drink water so that's a new habit get out and start walking that's a new habit a lot of times when people give up uh certain things certain stimulants it slows the body down and so you're more likely to gain weight and people are like oh i can't do without the stimulant cuz it kind of keeps me thin right but it's better to do things naturally and so like we've been saying um walking exercising is the best way to stimulate yourself naturally but here we're going to share some things about how um it affects the mind because remember we're always talking about protecting the mind runner's world june 2006 it says exercise improves cognitive functioning in young people old people and everyone in between says dan landers phd Cognitive functioning refers to the mental processes, awareness, perception, reasoning, and judgment by which knowledge is acquired. The short-term effects of a bout of exercise lead one to focus and make fewer errors in decision-making. Isn't that neat? What is that short-term effects of a bout of exercise? Um, so you make better decisions, right? with just having a little bit of exercise, you make better decisions. Remember, it's all about increasing the frontal lobe um, uh, activity, and that exercise is one of the ways that you can do that. Here's another one. A number of studies in the extensive review found that during and or following about a vigorous exercise, typically running or cycling for 20 minutes to an hour, subjects' performances on tests measuring executive control and that is the processes involved in achieving goals in a changing environment improve significantly when compared with pre-exercise scores. So, um, you know, a lot of times at work, we're in an environment that's continually changing. You get different things coming at you. You've got to make quick decisions. Uh, ER nurse, right? <laughs> that, would, that would be a prime situation of uh, achieving goals in a changing environment, Right? Um, It would be better to go out during your break to go get a little bit of exercise, get the blood moving, get the oxygen to the brain and to the other tissues, than to continue working and having the stress build up, right? And then you may make a bad decision because you're not getting the exercise you need. Um, Here's some more on the brain. A decade ago, when neuroscientist Fred Gage of the Salk Institute made the discovery that the adult brain continues to regenerate. The brains in question belonged to mice. Some of the mice had been sedentary. Others had been exercising. And the ones that log the most miles on their wheels produced many more new neurons. So the more exercise, the more new neurons. Uh, Richard Sloan revealed that after pounding the treadmill for four to- treadmill four times a week for an hour for 12 weeks, a group of previously inactive men and women ages 21 to 45 showed substantial increases in cerebral blood volume a proxy for the growth of new neurons because where there are more cells there are more blood vessels and this is not mice we're talking about humans who were sedentary and then um after they started they they had also increase in their blood volume in their brain all right so that's that um about exercise so It's encouraging because here everybody, we all go out on walks, right? In between sessions, we're all going out on walks, so that's really encouraging. And you see how much more you're doing it because you're doing it with somebody else, right? So take that home with you. Uh, Find somebody that can hold you accountable to go out and do these things. Um, I have a husband who's into exercise, and so that helps me um, because some of us aren't as into exercise as others, Right. (laughs) And so it's a blessing that I have him there. But whenever we're trying to make a change in our lives, discouragement comes in, right? Whenever we're trying to do something different, uh, the devil loves to come in and say, ah, it's not worth it. You're the same old person. Um, You know, whatever. Discouragement comes in all kinds of ways. It can come through a loved one. It can come who knows what. But look at what... um, Wise man Solomon says in Proverbs 17:22 it says a merry heart does good like a medicine but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So he's saying here that a merry heart, a good outlook works as well as medicine, right? But a broken spirit dries the bones. What's in your bones? Marrow. What's marrow? It's it's pretty much your your baby you, right? (laughs) It's like your blood cells, your baby blood cells. That's where they're making, they're being made is in your bones. And so that's the beginning of, of your tissues over and over and over. And so he says that when you have a a broken spirit, you're drying up your bones. You're drying up the marrow, the, the little cells that are going to become everything else that you are. And so you ever wonder, With the negative thoughts we have, um, why disease is so easily prevalent in our bodies, and uh, autoimmune diseases. Who's telling the body to attack itself? Right? Why is it called autoimmune disease? Like, your body's attacking itself, you know? These negative thoughts that we're seeing here, Solomon's saying these negative thoughts eat you up to the core of you, to the beginning of everywhere else you're going, right? And so there's there's a lot to be said in that. And I don't have time for it now, but there's so many studies that show a positive attitude and how it actually heals you from diseases and uh, people who are going to die. And then they come in and just give them some pleasure in terms of um, making a merry heart. And the next thing you know, they get healed. Um, having hope, a young boy who is who is deathly ill, and I think some of you might have read it, I think in the one of the Sabbath school lessons, And his teacher was so discouraged, she didn't know what to do. She came in to to visit him and then um, left him some homework and told him, you know, do this homework and whatever. And when he thought, he's like, there must be hope. If she's giving me homework, there must be hope. And the teacher didn't have any hope. She just did it because she didn't know what else to do. But it gave him hope, and then because of that, he healed. So um, you have no idea what the... what the mind can do in terms of helping us heal in in connection with the Lord for sure so discouragement is not a part of healing discouragement is not a part of going forward and overcoming right discouragement dries up our bones and actually destroys our bodies as well listen here what it says in ministry of healing page 246 the power of the will is not valued as it should be um, let the will be kept awake and rightly directed, and it will impart energy to the whole being and will be a wonderful aid in the maintenance of health. Isn't that powerful? Just the will, exercising the will will be a wonderful aid in the maintenance of health. It is a power also in dealing with disease. Exercised in the right direction, that's the will, It would control the imagination and be a potent means of resisting and overcoming disease of both mind and body. Isn't that powerful? Just from exercising the will. And you know what's so neat as um, if you go home and try this and we tell this to people all the time by the fourth day, like, you know what you've been doing this week because you've refrained from doing certain things? You've been exercising your will. And people are like, that's right. That's right, I've been exercising my will. I haven't been eating certain things that you've asked me not to, and I'm exercising my will because of it. Isn't that powerful? So just um, keeping yourself from certain indulgences during the week, you're exercising your will, you know, and you're strengthening the will by doing that. So uh, just a neat neat uh, quote there. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through twenty. If you ever get discouraged, remember these texts right here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We've been bought with a price. This body is worth a lot, and we're to glorify God through it, right? But what what price were you bought with? What was the price? Jesus' blood, amen. Look at here, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we were bought with a price, right? And that price is the precious blood of Christ. So whenever we get discouraged, whenever we get down, we need to remember that we're worth a lot right we were worth all of heaven was poured out on us and through the precious blood of christ and when the devil comes in and he discourages you and he says you know what you've not changed you're the same old person you're just pretending you've been putting on a show and you're the same old person and and you know it right and when you slip up and you make a mistake and he comes in with that with those taunting thoughts and you know what you should tell him you're like thank you Thank you so much for reminding me who I am and why Jesus came to earth. Thank you for reminding me that I am in need of a Savior. And like, hello, what did he come down here for, right? Jesus said, I came to seek the lost, right? And so you you thank the devil and say, thank you so much for reminding me that I'm not such a good person and that I need to turn to Jesus and that he did come and save me and that I'm worth something because of Jesus and you just keep turning back to that no matter how discouraged you get keep turning back to the cross you heard Chad mention that if we continue to look at our sin and ponder and ponder it like they did in the wilderness they looked at their snake bites what what does that do for you it kills you it brings you down it discourages you it dries up your bones right if you continually look at the sin but what did he say to do look at the serpent he he lifted up this serpent, a serpent representing Christ. What? What is that all about? It's the sin that was put on Christ that we were to look upon, right? So I don't look upon my sin myself. I look to see what my sin did to my savior. And that's how, that's the view we should get. My sin did that to him. And he bore it, right? So we look at the lifted up serpent, Christ, but we don't sit and look at our snake bite, right? We look at what sin did to him. Sin was put upon him, he became sin for us, right? And so we look upon him, and that's to take away all our burdens and realize yes, he has paid the price, he has washed away my sins. And that's to give us encouragement. The discouraging part is when we continue to look like, oh, I messed up again, and oh, it's so awful. Oh, I'm just the same old person, and you just beat yourself up, and you think about it. I think there's no good in that, right? But when we look to Christ, he takes that away. Well, um, this is something we haven't shown you before, but we'll just go through it quick. I'm sure you're familiar with, it's like the new start, you know? But we've done it in Overcomer so we need in order to overcome we need all these things we need o for open air v is victory in jesus e is exercise r is rest c is control and o is outlook having a positive outlook we have m is moisture inside and out e is eat nutritiously and r is radiant sun so the, we need these things, right? To get out and, and uh, have an overcomer perspective. Well, now Chad is going to come up and speak to us about forgiveness.
1: All right. Forgiveness. Now this is a very, very important subject. I think it's something that isn't thought of enough because uh, many people really struggle with lack of forgiveness. And... <clears throat> The word in the Greek for forgive is aphiemi, which means to send, send forth, lay aside, or what? let go. go. Now, I'm going to give you an example. You know, we do this seminar all over the place. We were doing this uh, in another state, um, and we've had this several times, but a particular lady, she she was sharing with us, She was kind of relaying her grievance story of what someone had done to her. She told us, she said, you know, my my parents did this to me, and my sister did this to me, and my parents did this, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this, and and literally it could go on non-stop. And and finally, uh, I brought up forgiveness. And she said, oh, I've forgiven them. And they did this to me, and they did this to me, and they did this to me, and they did this to me. But I've forgiven them, you know. Now, according to the definition of forgiveness, Has this person forgiven, yes or no? Has she let go of what happened in the past? Now we've had others who literally every time you see them, every single time you go to visit with them, they say, oh, you know, in church somebody did this to me, and they did this to me, and they did this to me. And then the next time you see them, they talk about the same story, and you think, I wonder if maybe they don't remember that the last time I saw them, they told me that story. And But then the next time you see them, the same story again. And I'm not exaggerating. And then the next time you see them, the same story. And the next time, the same story. And you begin to realize that is all that they think about. And if you bring up forgiveness, what is the response? I've oh, I've forgiven them. But have we really forgiven if we're living in that state? Yes or no? And I don't say these things to be funny, it is a reality that many people are struggling with, that we think we've forgiven because we say the words, I forgive, or I've forgiven. But is that biblically what it means to forgive? The whole issue of Christianity is basically the heart. It is not about the outside, and it's not just about what you say, it is about what happens in your heart. Whether it's accepting Jesus personally, whether it's being a genuine Christian, it is a thing of the heart, not a thing of just the externals or the outside. And forgiveness is not just a, a few words that pass forth from your lips, but rather has something changed in your heart? Have you genuinely forgiving, forgiven? Do you think Jesus throughout the ages of eternity is going to say, you did this to me and this to me and this to me and this to me? And we say, but Jesus, didn't you forgive me? Oh, I forgave you. And you did this and this and this. Can you imagine heaven like that? That wouldn't be heaven, right? I mean, would that be genuine forgiveness? No. God God tells us He's going to cast our our sins in the depths of the sea, right? They're going to go down they will be gone. God wants to give us the victory. But the very first time in the Bible that we see forgiveness mentioned, does anybody have any clue what it is? It is in the story of a young man named Joseph. Now I want you to think about this. The very first time forgiveness is ever mentioned in the scriptures, there was a young man named Joseph, and some of us have come. Maybe you've come from a great family, and if that's the case, praise the Lord. Not all of us have. You know, my dad's a heavy drinker, and uh, you know he got me into smoking at a young age, and. Um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have done it for a really long time, but he actually got me into it personally, and, you know, they gave me a cigar, and I just was hooked immediately. But some of us don't come from, you know, the, the most perfect family. And, some, you know, sometimes people call them dysfunctional families. Now, if, if there was someone in the Bible who came from a dysfunctional family, it was Joseph. You say, what? Come on, his, who, who was his father? Yeah, Jacob. I mean, this is a patriarch. I mean, you're saying he came from a dysfunctional family. Listen. Who throw, who threw him in a well, or who threw him in a pit? His brothers. And his brothers staged his death and then sold him into what? Slavery. Do you think that's kind of dysfunctional? Yeah, yeah that's kind of dysfunctional. So Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. Now, this young guy comes from a dysfunctional family, he's sold to these folks, he makes his way into Egypt, he's sold to a guy named Potiphar, well, he's such a diligent worker for Potiphar that Potiphar sets him up as like the manager of his household, well, Potiphar, you could imagine, I mean, did, did we see Joseph constantly talking about, you know, the story goes there in Genesis that Joseph, he said, you know, ah, life is rough because my brothers did this to me and this to me and this to me, and all these things happen, is that the story we have of Joseph while he was in Egypt, yes or no? No. Then we see Joseph as a faithful young man. He was being faithful to his God, being faithful to his slave master. Uh, His wife saw that this good looking young Hebrew boy, who was, he was probably around much more than Potiphar, right? So you have this wonderful young man in the house, and he's probably good looking. And so you got, you know, wonderful Potiphar's wife. She's there, and she, she sees this young man, and she wants to lie with him. And as a result, Joseph says what? He says, how can I sin against my God like this? And so Joseph takes off. She grabs his coat. The lady screams, rape. And who are you going to believe? The slave or the slave master's wife, right? I mean, there's no way around it. You're going you're to believe the slave master's wife. Joseph is cast into prison. And in prison, what does he do? Does he, I mean, the Bible specifically says in Psalms 105 or 6 I don't remember which in Psalms 105 or 6 you read the story of that physically the chains that were holding him were physically hurting his legs they were hurting his body so Joseph is in physical pain he's, cast, he's been you know, wrongfully sold into slavery he's wrongfully cast into prison now he's gone from you know, worse to worse and do we see Joseph continually complaining while he's in prison, yes or no? No. Now, but if anybody have a right to complain about what people had done to them, it was Joseph, right? If someone had a right to complain, it was Joseph. And instead of complaining, Joseph in this situation is doing what? He's thinking about other people. And he's helping other people, in essence, get out of prison. Or, well, I think one of them you know, got to go and die or whatever. But the point is he was helping people out to some degree. And as he's doing these things, uh, by, you know, by a miraculous circumstance, he is brought forth from the prison. He goes from the pit to the prison and he ends up going to the palace. And in this situation, as he's in the palace, uh, you know the story. His brothers come to him from his father and this whole ordeal works out where they don't know who he is and there's kind of, you know, there's a whole, whole bunch of things happen and take place. But the essence is this. Finally, he comes to the point, and the very first time the word forgiveness is mentioned, is that Joseph forgave his brothers. Do you think they deserved his forgiveness, yes or no? But Joseph forgave. We don't deserve God's forgiveness, do we? Is there any good thing, like do I say, God, I did this many good things, look at this, I go to church on Saturday, I did this, I eat this, I eat this, I do this, listen, I even go door to door, I do all these good things, so you ought to forgive me. Do we do that with God? Well, if you do, you're in trouble, right? If you think you deserve God's grace, you are sadly mistaken. No matter how many good things you've done or how good a family you've had or whatever it is, you don't deserve, there's nothing we can do to merit God's forgiveness. It is solely by His grace, something we do not deserve. But the first time forgiveness is mentioned in the Scriptures is in the midst of a family, a dysfunctional family. Now we're going to look at forgiveness for a moment. This is powerful. This is from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. The one thing essential for us, in order that we may receive and impart the forgiving love of God, is to know and believe the love that He, God, has to us. Before we can receive the forgiveness of God, and before we can give forgiveness to other people, first of all, we must recognize the loving forgiveness that God is willing to bestow upon us. We must recognize that this is a God, that though though Saul was a man whose job was to persecute and execute Christians, that even though that was the case, God wanted to forgive this young man and change his life. This is the reality. This is what God wanted to do for Joseph. This is what, or not for Joseph, for Saul, him also, but Saul, and he wants to do this for us also. So we need to know the love, the forgiving love of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt guilty? Yes or no? You felt guilty before. Now, you felt guilty, why? Most of the time it's because you have sinned, right? You've sinned against somebody, or sinned maybe just directly against God, nobody even knows that you've sinned, but you felt guilty. Did Jesus ever feel guilty for sin? Well, not But did He ever feel guilty for sin? He felt the guilt of sin more intensely than any individual human ever in the history of this earth. Not because Jesus ever himself sinned, but Jesus bore our sins and carried our sorrows. You know the interesting thing about human beings? I can, if you hurt, I can empathize with you to a certain extent, right? I can feel for you, but I can never literally feel your pain and your guilt and your sorrow. I can never actually feel that. I can feel for you, but I cannot actually experience what you are experiencing, There's only one person in the history of this earth that has experienced the pain, the suffering, and the sorrow of others all simultaneously at one time, and that is Jesus. He took all of our guilt upon Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as He went to the cross, the guilt of humanity was piled up upon Jesus, and it literally crushed His spirit, and it literally broke His heart, and Psalm says that. Psalm speaks about the fact that His, mine heart was broken. And in, in our second documentary, we have archaeologists, and then we have, well, actually, specifically, we have, our, we have a cardiologist who has worked with people who have something called Takotsubo Syndrome. And it is a, it is a syndrome where the heart literally is breaking from emotional stress has nothing to do with being clogged by you know having heart disease and these kinds of things. It is totally a clean arteries but someone is having a heart attack because of the emotional trauma is so intense. The interesting thing is we had a prophet over 100 years ago who talked about that. Sure, the Bible talked about it in Psalms. It said, "My heart was broken. And then we have a prophet who talks about that it was actually the heart that was, was crushed. It was broken. And now we have scientists who just discovered within the very last few years that this scientifically can happen from emotional trauma that your heart can be crushed and you can die. So we have felt guilt. Our Savior felt guilt on the cross. And sometimes, though, sometimes we, we, are, we struggle because we feel guilty. Jesus felt guilty, and we feel like maybe he can't forgive us. Like maybe I have to coax him into forgiving me for this one. But the reality is, that sin that you've committed that you feel like you can't bring to Jesus, he already t- took that one to the cross 2,000 years ago. You recognize that, Right? You're not convincing. It's not like he's like, you know, should I bring that one to the cross? I don't know. I don't know about that one. Listen, he already took it there. It was already there on Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we come to him in repentance. And we know and we trust that he is willing and he loves you. And he wants to forgive your sin. He wants to take your guilt away. Psalm 50, verse 21. See, we think God is like us. You thought that I was one like yourself, God says, but now I will rebuke you and lay the charge before you. God says, because you're not very forgiving sometimes, you think that I'm like that. You think I'm like you, where you say, oh, I'll forgive you later. Once you, you know, do this or that or whatever. But God says, I'm not like you. God is willing the moment you recognize and are willing to confess and repent of your sin, He is willing and ready to forgive. Now, this is the thing. Sometimes we don't want to forgive because we feel like it would be weakness on our part. We feel like, if I forgive, if I forgive, what happens is that, you know, I'm saying well, it's okay or it's very weak. I, it's, it's strong for me to be angry at you. Oh, I'm, you know, they did this to me those years ago, and it, it makes me stronger to be angry with you. But notice this. This is an awesome quote. It says, the strongest man is he, the strongest man is he, who while sensitive to abuse, meaning it hurts when someone abuses him, will yet restrain his passion and forgive his enemies. Such men are true heroes. So is it a weakness or a strength to forgive? Listen, who was the strongest human being that ever walked the face of the earth, at least morally? Jesus. And was Jesus willing to forgive, yes or no? Forgiveness is a strength that God alone can give to you. Some powerful things here. Wild Bill, this is a true story of a fellow who was a, in a Nazi concentration camp. His name, they called him Wild Bill. This is not the Wild Bill of the Wild West. But this Wild Bill who was cast, this is what happened. He was, he was dragged out of his house by the Nazi Gestapo, and they literally lined up his family, and one by one they executed his family right in front of him, and as they came to him to execute him, he began to speak to them in German and they heard that he spoke such good German that they, that they said, well, why don't we just cast him into the concentration camp? He can do some work for us. So as he went into the concentration camp, he worked diligently, he worked very hard while he was in there, and over many months, and actually probably over the course of years, the other prisoners looked at him, and they thought, what's the deal with Bill? What's the deal with him? He's different than all the rest of us. And, the, and some of them said, it, it, can't be, he could, it can't be that he's been in here as long as we have. He, he couldn't have been. He can't be on this same, you know, 14-hour day workforce and starvation ration diet. It can't be that he's been on the same thing. And so finally, when somebody went up and asked him, they asked, "Bill, what's the deal? What's different about you from the rest of us?" And the response came back. He said, "You know, he told them the story of his family being executed right in front of him." And he said, "He said when I had, when I saw that happen, I had a choice to make right there, and I knew I had a choice whether or not I would." Forgive them. And he said, you know, for me, the choice was actually very simple. Because I, before entering into here, I was a lawyer. And as a lawyer, I have seen what lack of forgiveness does to individuals and how it ruins their life. And so as a result, I decided, I decided when I saw this, that I would forgive. And something about that forgiveness, as we already read, a merry heart does good like a medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. And as everybody else is sitting in resentment and anger and hatred of their captors, which is natural, it is destroying them from the inside. They're not only being destroyed from the outside, they're being destroyed from the inside. God wants us to be able to forgive. Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have or if you have anything against another, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you trespass, your trespasses. So when you're praying, you have to forgive. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. So God says, listen, if you don't forgive, what? He will not forgive you. We were studying with a young man who was in a gang in New York, or not New York, in California. He was in a, a, an extremely rough gang called the Bulldogs. And this young man was a rough young man. Struggled with meth, with different drugs, wicked lifestyle. His, as he heard about forgiveness from the Scripture, it was so powerful. This guy was so rough. We at one point gave him the book Steps to Christ. We were studying the Bible with him. And we'd come over to visit with him and he'd pull off Steps to Christ. He's like, look at this quote. Look what she says. And he would read us these beautiful quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy, and it was just touching this rough, this wicked young man. It was changing his life as he was looking at these things. And as we were looking at this, he saw this, and he began to cry. And I'll bet he hadn't cried in years. And he began to tell us the story of the fact that his mother had married a pedophile, and this pedophile had raped him and his brother, stabbed him, and murdered his brother in front of him. He pulled up his shirt, and you could see the wound from the knife in the stomach or in the back. I don't even remember where it was, but he showed us where it was. But the point is, is Daniel was his name, and Daniel was was a man. He He said, am I even supposed to forgive him? What is the answer? Do we say, well, no, that guy's just too bad. Not him. No. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we sat and cried with Daniel there, recognizing the difficulty of the situation he was in. It is only God alone who can give ultimate victory to an individual in a circumstance like that. We're not talking about you finding some inner strength in and of yourself to forgive. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a divine strength that God gives you to be able to forgive even the pedophile, even the murdering pedophile who has done, you know, put your family through a living hell. God alone can give you the strength in these particular situations. This is an awesome quote. Check this out. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing 113. We, have, we are to have a spirit of compassion toward those who have sinned against us, those who have trespassed against us, whether or not they, what? Confess their faults. Check this out. However sorely they may have wounded us, we are not to cherish our grievances. So however sorely someone's hurt you, we are not to cherish our grievances. Well, what does that mean? I just simply looked up the word cherish. The definition of the word cherish, check this out, is to protect and care for lovingly. We're not to cherish our what? Our grievances. What would that mean to cherish your grievances? To protect and care for them lovingly? I want you to think about it for a moment. What if every time I see you, I say, you know what my dad did to me? He did this to me and he did this to me. You you know, the next time you see me, I say, you know what my dad did to me? He did this and this and this. And next time I see you, I do it again. What am I doing? I am cherishing my grievance. I'm holding it dear to me. I think about it more than anything else. I cherish, I love it, I protect it. I think about that more than anything else. And we're told that we are not... To protect and care for lovingly that story of the grievance, how someone has injured us. We're not seeking the attention of others all the time to say, Wow, you know, look what happened to you. Look at the terrible thing that happened to me, right? But rather we're to say, you know what? We are to have a spirit of compassion on those who have sinned against us. A sense of compassion on them. But the the quote goes on to say, it says, We are not to cherish our grievances and sympathize with who? With ourselves over our injuries. But as we hope to be pardoned for our offenses against God, we are to pardon all who have done evil unto us. Isn't that heavy? That we are simply, we're not to cherish our grievance story and tell it to everybody else, but we are, as we hope to be pardoned for our offenses against God, we are to pardon all who have done evil unto us. So far we haven't talked about how to forgive, we've just talked about what forgiveness is. What forgiveness? In that God commands it, and sometimes we look at the fact that He commands us to forgive, and we look at it as a a kind of a mean God, like you got to forgive, right? Listen, what we don't recognize is that when God's telling us to forgive, He really, Jesus says, if you know that when you know the truth, the truth will what set you free. Now, is this truth that you have to forgive? Yes or no? So that's truth, and if it's truth, that means the truth is going to what set you free. Now, listen, is it freedom to walk around constantly thinking about what someone did to you months or years ago, yes or no? Is that freedom? Absolutely not. It is actually bondage. Who is the one who is imprisoned? It is the one who is hanging on to that every day. And Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free. And when we find the divine strength from God to forgive all those who have done evil to us, He is giving us freedom. He is setting us free from the bondage, the chains that have been holding us back for maybe months, years. Maybe decades in some situations. We should not dishonor God by the mournful relation of trials that appear grievous. All trials that are received received as educators will produce what? Will produce joy. All trials produce joy if they are received as educators, we read. Trials produce joy? What? That sounds totally contradictory. The whole religious life will be uplifting, elevating, ennobling, and fragrant with good words and works. Now, this is powerful. You meet two people, and we've, we've had the opportunity to meet tons of people in these situations. Because I know, honestly, in your average crowd, you have 30% of the people who have been sexually abused as children or at some point in their life. And I'm sad to say that is a reality. But the reality is this. You meet two people. One person is abused as a child sexually or physically Another person goes through the very same trial in a different circumstance somewhere else. One of those people chooses to go on and to inflict the same torture on another individual and perpetuate the sin. The other person despises what happened so very much that they turn away from that sin and they end up being someone who becomes a positive force in helping to change other people's lives who've gone through the same trials. We have the choice. Two people go through the same circumstances, one uses it to blame the world, blame their family, and it is that person's fault, no question. But they choose to take that and then let it ruin their life and go over and over and over and over in their mind. And they cherish their grievance story. The other person says, you know what, I hate that that happened. I wish it never would have happened. But I'm not going to destroy other people because of what happened to me. We can choose to be a helping force on this world. We can choose to be a helping force in other people's lives because of the evil, because of the pain, because of the trials we've gone through. Our trials can produce joy if we receive them as educators, that we can use this to help someone else who's gone through these trials. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, before we talk about how to forgive, we're going to talk about what forgiveness is not, what what forgiveness isn't. Well, first of all, forgiveness... Is not based on finding some redeeming quality that makes a person worth forgiving. What does that mean? For instance, I mean, just, just a terrible, terrible experience that could happen. Young lady, she gets, uh, you know, she's going for a run, she gets grabbed and she's raped, and, and the guy after raping her just runs off and she never sees him again. Now, the Bible says that we are to forgive, but does she have to find a redeeming quality in that guy to forgive that makes him worth forgiving? Yes or no? Does she know any redeemable qualities about that guy? All she knows is the evil that he did to her. That is it. She's never seen a good thing come from that man. She knows nothing good. So forgiveness is not based on finding some redeeming quality that makes a person worth forgiving. Okay. Number two, forgiveness does not require that a person minimize the validity of his pain, the amount of pain he suffered, or the importance of a painful experience. Does this make sense? Sometimes we think that it's, you know, uh, like kind of this, this next one says almost the same thing. To forgive does not mean that a person is saying, this does not matter. Or, oh, that wasn't a huge wrong committed against me. Sometimes we think when we say, I forgive, what we're saying is, ha- have you ever heard someone say, and I've done the same thing, we do this. Someone says to us, I'm sorry for what I've said or done to you. And we say, that's okay. Now, what does that mean, that's okay? Like, oh, that's actually okay what you've done to me. That's just fine. I mean, is that what we're saying when we say you're forgiven? No, God doesn't say that's okay when you sin against Him. He doesn't say, oh, no big deal, you know, "Uh, you just crucified my son. That's okay. No. Listen, forgiveness is different than saying that's okay. Forgiveness is not saying that's okay. Forgiveness is saying, I'm letting it go. You know what? Let's put it away. Let's let go of that. It was a huge wrong committed against me. It's not saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Someone who's abused, we don't say, you know, oh, I was abused, no big deal. Hey, whatever, you know, things happen. No. We recognize it was a terrible thing that was happened. It was wicked. The person even deserves to be punished at times, right? Someone may have to go and be brought before the law for what they have done. Even the Bible talks about that. Romans 13 talks about the fact that the government has been set up to punish evildoers. Is that true? So, forgiving does not also mean that someone doesn't have to suffer consequences. Forgiveness does not mean letting a person off the hook that no justice is required, right? Somebody uh, murders a family member, does that, and, and we forgive them, but does that mean the government won't put them in jail? No, they may still have to go to jail to suffer the consequence of the sin they have committed. But the reality is, is it doesn't mean they have to be let off the hook, but we can, by God's grace, not hold on to the anchor hold on to the negative, repetitive memory all the time. We can let it go, not not by our own strength. We're going to talk about next how, how to forgive. But the reality is, the reality is that God can help us. It doesn't mean that we're letting a person off the hook. It doesn't mean that we're saying, oh, that didn't matter, or that wasn't a huge wrong. Because I think sometimes people don't want to forgive because they feel that if I forgive, what I'm saying is that it was okay that my uncle did that filthy, nasty thing to me. That I'm saying that was really just fine of him to do, like it was my fault. And the reality is, it's not mine or yours or anybody else. It's just the reality that maybe the uncle was just an evil man, right? Maybe he was just dirty or whatever. And if he is an evil man. Maybe this day, but the reality is God can give us whether or not he confesses his sin. You know, forgiveness also, forgiveness does not take two people. Forgiveness does not take two people. Meaning, Maybe the uncle doesn't even acknowledge he's done anything wrong. Maybe sometimes people even go to the uncle and say, you know, I forgive you for what you did to me. And the uncle says, what? I didn't do anything to you. And you knew full well he did. But forgiveness does not take two people. Reconciliation does. But you can't make someone reconcile with you. Can you? You cannot make someone if they don't want to reconcile. Now, you can go, if, if I've hurt somebody, and I've had to go apologize to many people that I've hurt saying things to and so forth, or even in the world, you know, like uh, you know, yelling at somebody or pushing them or whatever, but never I've had to go apologize to some of those people. But the reality is, if they don't want to forgive, I can't make them reconcile. Reconciliation takes two people. That's when two people make right the wrongs of the past, or at least one side does, the other side accepts it, and you have reconciliation. Forgiveness only takes one party. It only takes one person, whether or not the other person is willing to accept their fault in the matter. Now, what we're going to talk about, we're going to look at four simple things, steps that can help us to forgive. The first one is to admit, and this is one of the things that many people struggle with. Admit that you have been hurt. Many times what we try to do when someone's done a terrible thing to us, we try to get ourselves to think that we haven't been hurt. We try to say, oh, it's not a big, no, it's not, it's not a big deal. Some people want to just shoo it off like, like it's, no, 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 it wasn't a big deal. We almost want to not think about it, right? We don't want to think about it. We don't want to act like it didn't hurt, like nothing really did happen. Like, oh, no, 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 it was no big deal. Was it wasn't not a big deal? Was it really not a big deal? Many things when someone has truly hurt us, the reality is, is that we admit it. We're admitting it in our own hearts. Father, I hate the fact that this happened. I really hate it. I really wish this never would have happened. I really wish this wasn't a part of my memory bank, and the good news is someday it won't be a part of your memory bank, right? Someday it will be gone, but right now it's not gone yet. And I want to tell you this also, forgiveness is also, you know, one of the lies about forgiveness is that it's forgive and forget, right? Like, okay, I'll give you i well, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute, remind me about my personal experience. Um, forgive does not necessarily mean forget. Meaning, listen. Do you forget major events of your life? Sometimes you do. I have a bad memory. Some things I do forget, but there are there are major events of my life that I will never forget unless I literally lose my mind, right? And so that being the case, can you really forgive and forget? No. But you can choose to forgive and not to play it over in your head over and over and over and over and over and over. That's the difference. You understand what I'm saying? What's that? Yeah, God can, what, what he can do is, the way Fraudia says it is, and we'll talk more about this. She's going to share a testimony. I'll share a quick one too of, of forgiveness. But is, is that God can give you not, not amnesia, but emotional amnesia. Meaning that you even remember that it happened. But he can make it so that that burden, that terrible feeling that you normally feel when the thought comes back, doesn't continually harass you. That he can give you peace, even with the memory of the evil that someone has done to you. And I'll share with you my personal experience about that in a moment. Admit that you have been hurt. Please, I mean, for your, for your own self and your experience with the Lord and your experience with others, admit it, that it's been a terrible experience. Bring it to God. Talk to Him. He's not afraid to hear it. He knows what happened. So admit that you've been hurt. Don't deny that you've experienced mental, mental physical, or emotional pain as a result of the incident. So don't, don't deny that. Next point. Accept God's personal forgiveness in your own life. So, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're asking God, and so we accept God's personal forgiveness, that he is willing to forgive us. Now, I won't read that because I think we come right back to that one. Now, if you have any fault in the matter or in the event, confess your part in the matter. Listen, I want to be very clear with you. And I, I wish I wouldn't even have to talk about molestation and so forth, but it's such a reality that it needs to be spoken about. Many times we don't want to talk about it, but it's a reality. The reality is this. If you were molested as a child, which many people have, and if you have, then you are not alone. I mean, literally, nearly a third of people have. The reality is this. You didn't have a part to play in the matter. No matter what, most molesters will try to get children to think that it's their fault. Most molesters try to get children to think that. They say, you liked it, and the kid had these strange feelings they liked or whatever. And so the poor child doesn't know what to think. And they think, I brought this upon myself. But I want to assure you that no child is ever guilty for a, an adult taking advantage of them, ever. Ever. And I promise you that. That is the case. Regardless of what the person may make you try to think. Now, release is number three. So the first one was what? Admit. The second one is accept Accept God's personal forgiveness in your own life. And number three is release the hurtful party into the hands of God. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We already read that, but the point is this. you You can't take it away. Meaning you can't just say, oh, I forgive and go on in life. Meaning instead we go to God and say, Father, you know the emotions that are tied up in my heart over what has been done to me. And I'm pleading with you to take these away from me. I'm pleading with you that this will not be something that will continually harass me for the rest of my life, that I will not constantly have this negative emotions for what have happened to me, but Father, that you give me victory, that you take this and I release this person into your hands, Father. You deal with it as you see fit. Friends, I want to tell you, it is so freeing to have that experience with the Lord. And number four is ask the Lord to help you forgive and release the negative emotions. We have to ask God. We have to plead with God that He will do this, and He will, my friends. He is the one we read yesterday. We saw in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God that gives us what? The victory. He will give you the victory. I'm not saying it's going to be immediate. I'm not saying it just disappears and all that, you know, it'll be a fantastic memory. But I, I will tell you, God can take away, and He has in my personal experience. And also I want to encourage you to forgive yourself. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, What? If we Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. We have to believe that God is willing to forgive me, that he's willing to forgive you, and he is my friend. Now, I'll give you a personal quick, quick experience myself. This is what happened. Uh, I, the difference between me and many other people, if you're abused as a child, that's different. This was my fault, literally. Uh, I was, for no reason, I was just being a jerk. This was before I was converted. But for no reason, I was yelling at some guys, and, and I started a scuffle, and I threw the first punch. And these, these two guys beat the living tar out of me. They beat me to the ground, and I have this thing, uh, I was wearing contacts at the time, but I have this thing when I get hit hard enough in the head, I hear glass shatter, and I'm like half conscious for a little bit. So every time they'd hit me, I'd hear, and then I would think, where are my glasses? But my contacts were in. And then so I'd look for my glasses, and then, and then I'd hear, where are my glasses. And this just went over and over and over and over and I so I'm going through this whole ordeal of looking for my glasses while these guys are beating the living tar out of me. And so, you know, finally I got a hold of one of the guys legs and I mean, it was a real pathetic situation. I don't need to hold, but it was it was really, I mean, I would be really embarrassed to see the, like a replay of this thing. It was terrible. But nevertheless, these guys beat the tar out of me. So, and I deserved it because I threw the first punch. Honestly, had I not thrown the first punch, the whole thing probably would have never happened. But it's a difference between me and a child. I didn't have that experience. It's not your fault of as a child this was my this was my fault but nevertheless I used to lie in bed thinking about it and I just have all these negative emotions you know like oh what if I would have done this or this or whatever and, and all these thoughts and I'd go over and over and over and over and all these negative emotions would be there but the reality is now when I, sh- I almost the only time I ever talk about it is in the context of forgiveness and now when I talk about that story it feels about the same as if I if I'm talking about the weather oh it's you know sunny out today you know I feel about the same, meaning it does, it's the emotional amnesia, not the fact that I don't remember it happened. Am I ever going to forget on this earth that that happened? No. I mean, that's so vivid in my mind. It was like it was yesterday. But it doesn't hurt anymore. It's peace. And this is what God can do. But I don't choose to go over it all the time in my head. I don't. I just don't do that. But the reality is I don't have all the negative emotions. And forgiveness is letting go, right? It, I know it's there, but I've let it go. I'm not clinging to that. And God can give you the very same experience no matter what has happened. And sometimes, listen, Joseph was abused by people in the church. Because who was the church in Joseph's day? His family. They were the only church there. really was out there. So even if it was someone in the church, God can still give you forgiveness. God can work a miracle that he can give forgiveness. Did Jesus take your sins to the cross? He absolutely did. We're almost done with this and I'm going to share a quick testimony and we're going to close. Jesus did take our sins to the cross, but this is what we are to say. You said, Chad, I thought you said that it wasn't forgive and forget. It is not. But, but Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I thought you said, Chad, we're not going to forget. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, did Paul forget the fact that he had been beaten with rods and, and they threw stones at him? Did Paul forget that? You know how I know he didn't forget it? He wrote about it, right? But then he says, I forget those things that happened in the past, right? Did he forget? No, but he forgot. What? How does this work? Listen, what he's saying is this. We're not clinging to the past. And Ellen White said that all trials that are received as educators will produce what? Joy. Meaning he wasn't looking back like, and then they beat me with rods. And then they threw stones at me, right? I mean, he wasn't wasn't complaining about the past. He was like the other disciples, that he could grow from the trials that he had been through. And friends, the trials you have gone through, God can actually make you stronger because you've been through that trial. Friends, God wants to take the worst things that have happened to you and make them to be the best things that have potentially. Not that they were the best in and of themselves, but he can change your life so much through them that you can be a blessing to others. And you don't have to take that burden on your back for the rest of your life. God wants to give you victory. Fadi is going to share with us in closing a personal testimony of how her life was affected by forgiveness.
0: Due to time, I'll try to make it quick. It's all right. Uh, We both went long. Um, I was in college, and um, I was called into the chaplain's office, to um talk and while there uh I was just like going on and on and on and on about what I had to do and because I could feel this uncomfortableness like he had to tell me something and I didn't know what it was and I just felt very uncomfortable and I kept talking (laughs) you know how you do that when when something's weird and and so I just I kept talking and said well you know I have to get going because it was uh midterms and I had to go study and do this that and the other and still had the look on his face and finally he just waited for me to get done and then and then he said I you know I have something to tell you and I was like oh boy and he he got his chair up closer to me and then he said uh we got a call from home today and I'm like oh no what happened what happened my mom my dad he said no it was from the armed services and when I heard that I just lost it completely lost it it was my older brother he was in the army and uh I just started crying, and 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 uh, I looked over to him to tell me, you're overreacting, everything's okay. Uh, he's hurt, but he's okay, and didn't get that. And I just started crying, and, and they said it was a head-on um, car accident. You know, when you have someone in the Army, you always think it's going to be something more drastic than that, right? And so um had to fly home the next day, and... When I got home, we found out that it was a drunk driver that had killed my brother, um, who was married two days. And he was with his wife. She was driving, and he was he a was passenger. She made it through with a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries, but she made it through. And um, he was killed instantly. She knew she was a nurse, and she, you know, checked his pulse and stuff, and she knew he was gone like that. And um, he was actually sleeping when it happened, so he never knew any any better, right? So anyway, um, when I got home, and I found out that it was a drunk driver, immediately anger set in, because I thought, a young life taken just like that? Because, you know, in your mind you're thinking they're gonna die doing something for the country, you know? And so, um, and then it ended up being a domestic thing, and so immediate anger set in. But like every good Christian, what are we supposed to do? Forgive and forget, right? And so I thought, oh, you know, I'm supposed to forgive this guy because you see these shows on Oprah, and she always has these stories about, I don't watch Oprah now, but in the past I did (laughs) anyway. And you see these things where you have these Awesome stories of somebody coming and, you know, forgiving somebody that done something. And so you have these things running through your head and you're like, I have to be like that, you know, I have to forgive and didn't put much thought to it. I just thought that's just what you do. A few years later, um, I was I was in um clinicals and we had to go through uh psychiatric clinicals and when I was in that aspect, um we had to be in a it was a psychiatric ward that was for the state and we'd have to sit and be in in you know care groups or whatever with the people and talk with them and stuff and before you came in of course you had to go through the charts okay you had to go through the charts and you knew why people were where they were at and all this kind of stuff So the night before we came in, there was a new admission. And he was admitted because he was in a car accident. And his car accident was due to his drunk driving. And no one else got hurt. He didn't get hurt. But to avoid um, getting, uh, what do you call it, any jail time, his lawyer immediately put him in the psych ward to, to buy some time. So we who read the charts understand these things, right? and knew, knew what was going on. And so um, I go into this this setting, into the counseling setting, knowing these things. And this guy comes in, in and out, in and out, disturbing the group. And um, he he, uh, he just kept huffing and puffing as he's doing it and slamming the door and in and out, disturbing the rest of us as we were sitting having the group. And so this is the guy that I had just read the charts about, and I know, and so finally, the head counselor she addresses him and said, "Hey, you know, you want to tell us what's going on you you know and and uh he said, "Yeah, I don't deserve to be in here. I haven't done anything wrong, and he he lists off all these things and 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 he's innocent, and so all the others I've worked with, they were always remorseful, and it was easy to work with them and stuff, so it was no big deal. But this one was different for me. And all of a sudden, as he's speaking, all I could see in front of me was the man that killed my brother. That's all I could see. I was like, I bet the guy that killed my brother feels like this too. Because the guy that killed my brother didn't get much. He got like maybe one or two days in jail until they figured out the case. He got a slap on the wrist. He had um, he was like a 45-year-old man, open drugs, liquor, cash in the car, uh, drugs in the car, the whole, the whole thing. And, and uh, they just treated it like a traffic case. So you can imagine I'm sitting here thinking this guy's going to get away with it. Just like the guy that killed my brother and they're going to go out and kill more people. And so my brother's death goes in vain. And so immediate anger just welled up in me. And I just, it just came out of nowhere. And, and my eyes started to tear up and I'm, I'm, you know, clenching my fists and, and thinking I better get out of here because I'm gonna disturb this group. Because some of the other guys start looking at me and thinking what's going on. So I get up, move, go out to another room, and I just start crying. I just let, I just start crying and crying and crying, and um. And then my instructor and then the head counselor come in after the group's done, and what happened in there, Fadia? What's going on? And so I tell my grievance story, thinking I would get sympathy out of it. (laughs) And instead, they said, you need to deal with this. They said, not everybody's going to be remorseful. Not everybody's going to be easily taken care of. Some are going to be very hard to deal with. If you want to continue in this line of work, you better get a grip. And I was like, whoa. So I go home just heavy, thinking. I didn't know I felt like this. I thought I had forgiven you know and um i can't work in this work because of this you know and it just really bothered me and so i just started to pray and pray and i started um really asking the lord you know going through the process that chad was Hamat admitting so i admitted yes this was hurtful this guy did an awful thing he not only took away a brother and a son but a husband you know and a friend and, um, just went through the whole thing and realizing, okay, I haven't hurt because in the beginning I thought, no, you're supposed to forgive. And so I didn't deal with any of that of, of how it felt and all of that. Right. And so finally I, 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 you know, was going through all that, um, admitting that I was hurt, accepting the fact that, you know, um, God's forgiven me, right. Cause I realized I'm a sinner in need of a savior as well. And what started happening is I, uh, I had my own replay of how I thought the accident was. I wasn't there, but I had my own replay and I would play it over and over and over in my head. It would drive me nuts just seeing the accident of how I thought it was. And I'd um, have these dreams. I'd go to bed at night and I would have these dreams that um, it was all a mistake. My brother wasn't dead that he was actually alive, and we, we just had made a mistake. And, and I'd see him, and I'd be so excited. I'm like, ah, oh, he's alive, he's alive. And then I'd wake up in the morning and realize it was all a dream. And that would just crush me every morning going through that. And it would just crush me. And then I started thinking, OK, this feels awful. I wasn't there. And, and as a sister, it just feels awful. But what if I were the guy that caused this pain? What does he wake up feeling like every morning? And as I started thinking about that, I started praying for him. And I was like, Lord, please don't let my brother's death go in vain. You know, please let this be a situation where through this, you change his life and those around him. And that maybe someday he could be like King David that gets to meet Uriah and tells him, you know, my heart was changed and I did this to you. And that this man could come up to my brother and say, my heart was changed. I did this to you. I took your life prematurely. And as I started praying for this man, this burden started lifting. You know, I started thinking about um, the eternal realities, right? And not just the immediate what was happening. The Lord just started lifting up a burden. I get chills even just thinking about it, that that God took it away. And then I could think about him, and, and he's in a lost condition, right? And um, sure, it hurts. It's painful for me and my family, but we have Christ. He doesn't. And if he goes around killing more people, it's just going to get worse, right? And the law's not going to change his heart, right? I could, I could be angry about him not getting put in prison, but the law's not going to change his heart. Uh, prayer and, and the word of God will change his heart. And so that was my prayer over and over, and God released it. And then for a while, I was getting these um, continual thoughts of death. All the time, I thought, I'm next, and all these superstitious thoughts, I thought, I'm next in line, I'm the next child, and something's going to happen to me, and weird, weird things. Like, the devil just messes with you. When you when you encounter death, he just starts making you so fearful of life itself. It's very strange. And I used to, like, I was going to take off to go to New York at one time, and I was leaving on the... Um, the day of his death, the, the anniversary of his death, and I, and I was coming back on his birthday because those were very near each other. And, and I thought, oh, how weird, you know, something's gonna happen. Just weird stuff all the time. It didn't matter if I was in the shower, I was thinking about death. If I, and it drove me absolutely nuts. And I said, Lord, I can't live like this anymore. I need relief from these continual thoughts. And at the time, uh, we were going to these NET meetings at the church and, uh, <sighs> I came and I was just sitting in the pew and I was just praying. I was like, Lord, please release me of this. And the song uh, that they sang that night was Because He Lives. And listen to the words. As I imagine, imagine yourself, me being in that pew listening to these words as these death thoughts are going through my head. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because i know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives and god just took that burden off my back and he's like fine you don't have to worry because i'm the resurrected savior i hold the future right there's nothing to fear life is worth the living because he lives and God just gave me these things one thing after another releasing me from the burdens of the death releasing me from the burden of not forgiving right when i forgave that man i really i really felt this this um major burden just come off my shoulders and i can't explain it to you except the fact that god gives it to us he's the only one that can and um like chad was saying you know we we experience our own guilt and we experience um but christ experienced it all of it on on him right but you know what um we've done worse than others have done to us because we're alive and this is what i mean by that god has forgiven us for murdering his son and no one's murdered us yet right and so we've done far more than anybody else has ever done to us. We murdered his son, and he forgave us. And, and uh, not only that, he adopted us, right? He not only forgave us, but he adopted us. And maybe um, sometime Chad could tell you a story, not now because we're really over on time, but he could tell you a story about true forgiveness. Um, it's just beautiful. Um, But I just want to encourage you guys, if there's anything eating you up, if there's anything that you're holding on to, um, a lack of forgiveness. The reason we do this in this seminar is because we realize a lot of people have habits and addictions that are due to a lack of forgiveness Uh, because they haven't forgiven or they haven't given, asked for forgiveness somehow. It's eating them up. And so you turn to other things to deal with that negative emotion that's in your heart. You turn to things to fill the void. You turn to things and habits that are destructive because you can't handle the this immense pressure, right? So I want to encourage you, if there is something in your life that you have not given to the Lord, that you have not asked him to help you forgive someone or you ask for forgiveness of someone, I plead with you now to do that. God did not call you to sit here right now and hear these things um, if he hadn't, wanted you to hear it for yourself or for someone else that needs to hear it right so I want to encourage you please do that let's pray father in heaven I thank you so much for your son that has shed his innocent blood Lord a lot of times we have things done to us and uh, yes we hurt but we are guilty Your son was not guilty. He was innocent. And yet he bore our griefs and bore our sorrows, Lord. And um, he was bruised for us. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us now, that you would help us, give us the strength to forgive and to allow you to heal us of the brokenness, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.